0: And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow. And you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that... When you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration and electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because elements new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate, mint chocolate, chai and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time. So you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other element electrolytes. That's right. You can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com
1: slash to get your free electrolytes. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order, beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode
0: number 306 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow.
2: Hi, Melanie. How are you?
0: I am good. What is new in your life?
2: Oh, let's see. By the time this comes out, I will have been back from one trip and looking forward to another. so i'm I'm kind of in this perfect haze right now of two trips in February, one for pleasure, one for work, same thing in April, one for pleasure, one for work. And so knowing that I'm not doing as much traveling as I did last year right now is feeling really good. Like I'm in a sweet spot. I and mean, I'm always in the midst of, planning travel. But right now it's been those kinds of things I'm looking forward to and getting my kids enrolled at, they're they're both doing programs at Duke this summer. So it's exciting slash terrifying that they're going to be away for two weeks (laughs) in a very safe environment, academic environment, but still they'll only be about two hours away from home. But I'm like, oh
0: my gosh, they're really big kids now. How about you? Yeah, I definitely need your travel skills. I'm at max travel once a month and even that is too much for me. <laughs> so, yeah, so actually by the time this comes out, it will be really exciting because I think I think we will have launched a new form of subscriptions for one of either all of my supplements or one of my supplements. We're moving towards Doing a type of subscription where people only get one bottle rather than multiple bottles to help cut down on waste and you know, shipping costs and all of that. So I'm really, really excited about that. i uh, I feel like there's so much potential with everything, especially now having my own product line, and like you as well, Cynthia, it just always you know, want to make everything better and improve and optimize. And so it's exciting to see how we can, you know, continue to do that with like sustainability on the, you know, on the subscription and the bottle side of things. I already have glass bottles, but I I think I mentioned this before, like I still have plastic caps, of course. So I want to like look at that there. And it's just exciting to always be innovating and all of that, which speaking of, here's a little fun fact. Do you know why why people often have epiphanies in the shower? No. Did you know there's like psychology behind that? No. So this is so interesting. And I read this in one book and then I interviewed, who was I interviewing about this? Mark Milstein, who wrote, I just interviewed him. He wrote a book called The Age-Proof Brain. And it was a really amazing, comprehensive look at why we have brain aging. And it was a fascinating conversation, but... In any case, the way our brains work, they did a study where they interviewed really high-performing people. It was like Nobel Prize winners, like people who were like at the top of their game in and, and different jobs, so like art and science. And they thought that everybody would have different ways of innovation, but it was actually all very similar, which was that the people dedicated... A lot of time and focus and effort into learning the skill or practicing or doing the thing. And then they would have moments of not doing that, and then that's when their insight would come to them. So I think it was it Billy Joel? one of them was like a singer. He said the best tunes often came to him when he was like washing the dishes. So in order to innovate, the key seems to be to put a lot of effort and time and focus into learning your skill and focusing on that and then having this time where you're not. And so when you're in the shower, being in the shower is one of the only times in the day, especially in our modern society where we're always on our phones, where you're literally not doing anything else. I mean, unless you have your phone in the shower, but you're not doing anything. You're not mentally engaging in something like you're not reading, you're not on your phone. And so it's this moment where your brain actually is in this like resting mode and it can have these epiphanies, <laughs> which is super interesting.
2: That is really interesting, but it but it makes a great deal of sense because most people are not tethered to a piece of technology in the shower, hopefully.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Super cool. I love learning about the brain. Yeah. Anything else or shall we just jump into everything for today?
2: Yeah, I think I should should probably mention that creatine subscriptions are coming. So by the time this comes out, we are going to be offering two bags every three months. And if people lock into the discounted price, that is for your lifetime, which is really exciting. And then the very beginning of March, we're going to start talking about my brand new supplement that's coming out. Melanie knows what it is, but I'm not yet allowed to discuss it. But suffice it to say, we'll continue to focus on brain sleep and metabolic health. So it'll be consistent with creatine, obviously a different product. It's a single ingredient, which I love. And I don't know if you saw Huberman just had like a podcast episode or was talking about this, how he's a fan of single ingredient supplements so that you know exactly what you're getting as opposed to like a hodgepodge of five or six things together, like a blend. And there's nothing wrong with having a blend, but there are benefits from a solitary ingredient as opposed to many different ingredients.
0: I could not agree more about the single ingredients. I think it's so, so important. Yeah, I am so, so passionate about the single ingredients because, again, we're not putting down blends. There are a lot of really great blends out there, but there's just something really nice to really testing one thing at a time and knowing how it's affecting you and being able to titrate accordingly. So for listeners, all of the resources for everything for the Avalon X supplements, they can go to avalonx.us slash email list to get updates or avalonx.us to get the supplements. The coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off site-wide for everything. And you can get a 20% off code if you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. And then Cynthia, how about you for your supplements?
2: Yeah, just go directly to com, and we have everything on my homepage that will allow you to gain access to creatine with a subscription. So it will be coming out in mid, actually February 10th. And then the new subscription will be announced
0: very beginning of March. Awesome, awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. And okay, so we can start with some listener questions. So we have a question from Cara. The subject is, is chewing ice clean fasting? And Kara says, hi, I've researched a lot and listened to a ton of your podcasts slash interviews listening for you to answer about if chewing ice breaks a fast. I'm a 20 plus year sugar-free gum chewer, Trident, all day. So too fast clean. I'm trying to break the gum habit with chewing on ice instead but I heard someone say anything that makes your brain think food is coming needs to be out. So is chewing ice still considered clean? Part two. If I've chewed gum every day for 20 years, is it possible my body has adjusted to this and knows that no food is coming when it registers Trident gum? Thank you.
2: Okay, Kara. Well, these are two very different things. Chewing on water, which is frozen water is ice, I think is very different than chewing gum. I I would imagine that you are not breaking a clean fast by chewing water or chewing ice. However, if you are using sugar-free gum, which has chemicals that are impacting your saliva and getting your body potentially ready to accommodate a food bolus, if you were chewing a food like substance other than gum, is very different. So I would say yes to chewing ice. I think that's probably pretty benign. And I would say, you know, chewing on gum is technically going to tell your body that food is coming. There's this whole cephalic phase insulin response in response to your body, thinking that food is coming. That is always something that I encourage people to just be cognizant of. And if you are weight loss resistant, if anyone's weight loss resistant, this is when some of these things can make you know a little bit of an impact. And most of those sugar-free gums are made with, if it's not sucralose, they're generally made with non-nutritive sweeteners. There's gums and fillers and sometimes even seed oils that are in these products. So just try to pick a clean option. Melanie, I know you mentioned that we've gotten this question a couple of times over the years. What are your, what's your opinion?
0: We have answered this, but it was quite a while ago. By the way, for listeners, if they go to ifpodcast.com, there's a search option there and you can search through. It's a very good search because you know how some sites like don't have that good of a search. Ours is really good and we have transcripts on all of the episodes. So if we talked about it, it will find it. So for example, I just searched for ice and a lot of things came up, but apparently we talked about this in episode 105. (laughs) So almost, so 200 episodes ago, which is crazy. We answered a question from Kelly. Does eating ice break the fast? But it's been a while, so uh, we can answer that again. So it's a really good question, and it goes back to what I think I was talking about last week, which is the concept of breaking a fast and why are certain things breaking a fast and other things not? So why is blood sugar raising from coffee or tea, for example, breaking a fast, but not from exercise or stress? And so same with the, the chewing and the ice like having that chewing response, like Cynthia was saying, might activate certain digestive processes. The sweet taste, like Cynthia was mentioning, might activate that cephalic phase insulin response. And so again, it's it's the nitty gritty and the nuances, but I actually think it's really important because it might affect your experience of the fast. And I think it might be individual for different people. Chewing ice is not adding calories, you know, to your body, but is it making your body think food is coming in? And if so, is it going to have hormonal effects that, you know, might make it more difficult to maintain the fast. It's a lot of things that I think people get really hung up on, and perhaps rightly so because if we are, you know, I think it's really important to to understand what is and what is not being conducive to how you're experiencing everything. So <laughs> for Kara's question, the gum and the ice. And Cynthia mentioned all this, but I mean, the gum that's chewing with all of this flavor signaling and sweetness. And so that is definitely sending your body messages of food. The ice, it's really just the chewing part of it because presumably the ice is not flavored. I think in the ideal world, you know, moving away from this and moving to just water, black coffee, tea would be the ideal way to go. I really like your second question, Cara, about is it possible that your body has adjusted to this because you've been doing it for 20 years? That's a really good question. I don't think anybody's asked that before. I actually don't know. I don't know how the body works with. Like memory related to all of this, like does it l- learn and make that association? I I really don't know. It still doesn't change my answer though, which is that you know having that that sweetness I think is sending mixed messages, and a lot of those ingredients I, I think are things we probably don't want to be taking in anyways. So, do you have thoughts on that, Cynthia? On the you know that the body has her body might have learned because she's been chewing so long that it's not having calories.
2: I mean, obviously, I'm not a brain physiologist researcher, but I think about the net impact of a lot of gum products that have the non-nutritive sweeteners. Many of them have got seed oils in them, and I can't imagine that a product like that is, per se, something that your body gets accustomed to, like other types of things, like other types of beneficial stressors, like exercise or heat or cold exposure, I don't know the answer to that. I didn't I didn't look for any research on that, but I think unfortunately the more I know about gum in general, unless you're using like a really clean option, there's your buccal mucosa, which is the mucosa in your mouth, is very vascular. We give a lot of medications in particular, that route, because it is so vascular. And I just think about the net impact of those kinds of things. And I just think there's so many other ways around it. I know Jen was a huge proponent of, I think it was the wow drops as an option and, you know, like brushing your teeth. I mean, there's just so many other things you can do that probably are a whole lot healthier than most conventional gum. I'm sure there are some clean gums out there that the flavor doesn't last very long, but definitely something you want to avoid if at all possible.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I haven't, I used to chew all the gum. I was obsessed with, do you remember those dessert gums? Did you ever have those? I don't think so. Oh my goodness. It was like Willy Wonka.
2: I was about to say, was it like Willy Wonka?
0: Yes. And it literally tasted like, they had like apple pie and It literally tasted like you're eating apple pie. I would go through like a pack of that stuff. Did you ever have like the chewing gum habit where you just like go through the pack?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I was one of the people that never drank coffee and I would round on patients in the hospital. And there's nothing worse than being a patient and having some stinky provider's breath, like coffee breath or whatever they've been eating or consuming onions. And so I was always very cognizant of that. So I would chew, like, I would chew gum for a little while and I'd spit it out. Then I have a little bit more. And so, yeah, there was definitely a time period. What's interesting is during the pandemic, I wasn't traveling like most of us. And I I had this gum habit that I only chewed gum when I was in the car and I only chewed gum when I was in the hospital, but I completely lost the desire to chew gum. And I literally have not chewed gum in like three years. And I now you know, laugh that I used to be such a conscientious, I'm still a conscientious breath person, but... I'm now finding other ways to freshen my breath that do not involve some of the junky gums that are out there. But I I don't, right? you know, it's interesting when you were mentioning the dessert gums, I was literally in my mind thinking that sounds like Willy Wonka.
0: Oh yeah. It was completely like Willy Wonka, which I didn't realize until recently that the Wonka brand of candy no longer exists, which made me really sad to hear. But interestingly, I haven't chewed gum in years, and it wasn't because of the fasting. It was because of TMDD, what people call TMJ, which is actually TMDD, which really just exacerbated that, which interestingly, do you have any experience or do you know people who have have had Botox in their, what is that muscle called? The muscular jaw muscle? Masseter. Do you know or anybody who's done that for TMJ?
2: Yeah, I've had friends that have done that for TMJ and then also friends who've had debilitating migraines and have done Botox and have had really good results with that and for anyone that's the same this is not for cosmetic purposes these are people that have tried everything and are just looking for some relief but yes and I know the research on both has been pretty compelling obviously covered by insurance because these neuromodulators are not just for aesthetics they can also help people that are dealing with muscular tension that's creating pain in some instances chronic pain
0: yeah. So I actually just got that done and I feel like I might need to put some more in. Apparently that muscle requires a lot of Botox units because basically what it does is it's paralyzing the muscle. And so you're not having that clenching. And the issue I have at night is I just really, really clench. I'm really excited to see if it helps. Apparently she was showing me before and after pictures. Apparently people in, I think it's popular in Asia, they will do it aesthetically. Cause it will slim your face. Cause if you have like really intense muscles there, it widens your jaw and your face. So you, you can do it aesthetically, but I'm doing it completely for the TMDD. So if anybody lives in Atlanta, actually the reason I found out about this was it's the place where I get my M sculpt that I'm obsessed with the muscle stimulation. So they do Botox there aesthetically and for medically like this. So um slim studio in Atlanta. I'm obsessed with definitely check them out. So I'll uh, let you know. I really hope that it's effective because I've had TMJ issues for so long. Have you had those issues at all?
2: No. Did you have braces?
0: I did. And I had my wisdom teeth out and that's when it started.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, it, it seems to be like the patients of mine that had braces. I mean, I, I've had braces and I've had my wisdom teeth out because I just have the classic, you know, when I think about James Nestor's book, the classic like small face, small mouth and big teeth. And so thankfully I don't, but I also don't like, I don't eat bread. I mean, not things that make my mouth open, like obscenely large, but I remember years ago when I did eat bread and ate subs and things that you grew up with. If you grew up at the Jersey shore, I could sometimes get like a clicking in my jaw, but never pain.
0: Oh yes. I used to have really bad clicking and it was an issue when I would Record audiobooks because you would hear the clicking.
2: Interesting. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast, and it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water, and I love both variations. My 17 year old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement, and I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre- and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome, and AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome as well as sleep support, assistance with energy and so much more. So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week, and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast, and check it out.
0: Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. So here's a question from one of our AMAs, and it's from Desiree. And she says, I need easy, healthy meals for a busy family of six, three of which are very picky. And I know Cynthia, you and I have had conversations about this, so I would I love to hear your thoughts about dealing with picky children.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I'm just going to tell you what works well in our house. I have two very athletic teenagers. I have a husband who still plays competitive sports, does jujitsu, etc. And so the only way we survive is meal prep. It's not sexy. You have to meal prep. And we meal prep at least two days a week. That means steaks, burgers, roasted chicken, vegetables that are prepped, making sure that you know the kids are involved in in meal prep and in terms of things that they want to have for their school lunches or have for snacks. And yes, they're still in this massive anabolic phase. So they eat a lot of food. That's the only way we survive and it's always been our philosophy obviously i have now I have teenagers but we never prepared different meals the expectations were that whatever we pe- prepared for dinner was what everyone was eating or the next meal was breakfast and my kids have learned to have a pretty like a pretty diverse palate they weren't kids that just ate chicken nuggets and french fries and i think a lot of parents because it's hard i get it when your kids are younger you want to get them to eat But children sometimes need to have food introduced to them 20 times before they will acclimate to it, whether it's a vegetable, a fruit, a protein, etc. So we've never allowed our kids to, obviously they have preferences, let me be clear, but my children weren't allowed to pick and choose. It was like, this is what's being served, and if you don't want to eat, your next meal is breakfast. And we've never had that happen, ever, (laughs) ever. And I think it's because we've just set that expectation. So you have to meal prep setting expectations this is why i think you know green chef is a great option my kids are now at an age where when we get a Re- green chef box they can put the meal together themselves and obviously they eat two or three portions at a time so it's it's definitely you have to make sure you have enough food based on where your kids are age wise but green chef is one of those like easy options where you have where you can like pick whatever you know nutritional profile you're interested in we usually do paleo or keto And then we just lean into it. We can pick the proteins, and that's worked really, really well. And I have a child with life threatening food allergies, so we're able to navigate that. And they're, you know, they, meaning Green Chef, has really been great about avoiding nuts and peanuts and things like that. Melanie, what are your thoughts?
0: This is another reason I probably am not made to have kids. (laughs) I am. Oh, I would not. It's just so much to deal with. When I read it, I was going to suggest Green Chef, so I'm glad that you brought that up. So if listeners would like to check out Green Chef, they can go to greenchef.com slash podcast. The code changes around. The most recent code was podcast 599 and that actually got $5.99, like $5.99 per meal on your first box, which ships free, which is super awesome. I'm not a parent, so I can't really speak to this super amazingly, but ButcherBox, huge fan of ButcherBox as far as sourcing really delicious meat that would come straight to your door. So that can really help save on time. And what's really great, I think if you have a a lot of freezer space or a chest freezer, you can just always have, you know, lots of chicken and steak and everything in the freezer. So then, you know, really easy access to that. So butcherbox.com slash I have podcast will get you whatever offer is current. So right now, for example, you can actually get a chuck roast and a whole chicken. All for free, so that's a grass-fed, grass-finished chuck roast that is organic, free-range whole chicken, and ten dollars off. So that's an amazing offer. That's ButcherBox.com/slash/ifpodcast, and I think especially with like the whole chicken, I know that's a really cool route to go because that's something that you can make last for you know a long time. Like you can actually make. Chicken in the beginning and use the actual meat and rotisserie, and then you can save it for you know making soups and bone broths and things like that. So that's really incredible. But yeah, as far as the pickiness, I really like your approach, Cynthia, of making the meal and this is what it is. And you know, people can eat or not eat. I think if I again, I don't have kids, but I think if I were to have kids, because I've been asked this a lot and I've thought about this a lot, and again, this actually is a reason that I don't see myself having kids because I I don't want to deal with all of this but I just think that our modern food environment is so toxic to our health and our life and so many things and so how do you how do you raise children to you know eat healthy but also not make them feel stifled and like to the point where they rebel or you know feel like they can't eat certain things and create a food complex which you wouldn't want anyways so the way I've thought about if I were to have kids, how I would do it and how I would deal with pickiness and everything is... And and this is what I hear on a lot of podcasts I listen to. Like I love Rob Wolf's podcast, Healthy Rebellion Radio. They talk a lot about how they raise their kids with food and things like that. I really just like the approach of making the messaging around food being about the health and about how you can eat certain you know different foods but they might not make you feel very good. <laughs> so certain foods will make you feel good and other foods might not and you know food isn't good or bad, it just has different effects. And so if I had kids, I would within my house I would, you know, that's where I would have the control over what can be eaten. So in my house I would choose what type of food was in the house. If we had meals, I would I would not entertain the pickiness if that makes sense. So I would not accommodate Pickiness. I would just, like Cynthia said, have the meals and this is what we're having. And then I would make it very clear that when they are, you know, out in the world, that, you know, certain foods probably won't make them feel good if they eat them. So I think approaching everything with love and education and also just not entertaining pickiness, which I understand. I bet, I bet so many moms are listening and being like, Melanie, you don't have kids. <laughs> like, what are you saying from your high horse? But those are my thoughts about that. I wish I had more, more insight.
2: Well, and the other thing is you have so much more control when your kids are younger because you're their whole world. Whereas now I have a 15 year old and a 17 year old and, you know, they go to sports events, they do things independently. They're much more independent. And so you have to hope that you're investing in them really good tenants for being able to navigate nutrition. Like I jokingly, we've been we've now been to four colleges for my 17-year-old to look at for applying for next year. And it's been interesting, you know, for him being a very athletic 17-year-old, going to a campus where there are a lot of food choices or they have like nationally ranked Food options has been a big focus beyond wanting to do an engineering program. Let me be clear. His priorities are in the right place. But he keeps saying, like, I don't know what I'm going to do when you know I go off to college. I'm so used to having like all this healthy food. And I just said, You're going to make, you're going to make good choices, you're going to make bad choices. But hopefully you understand enough about what's designed to fuel your body versus, you know, hyper palatable foods. And It just gets a whole lot more interesting slash challenging the older that they get. So, you know, definitely just keep reintroducing things, meal prep, set the expectation. You know, I grew up at a a time when my Italian mother meant it when she said, this is the meal you're served. And I went to bed without food many times, not because I didn't have food. I just didn't want to eat what was served. And that's a powerful lesson to learn as a child or teenager. So even if they do that, they'll be okay.
0: Yeah, no, I love that so, so much. I'll also refer people to my friend, Noelle Tarr. She's the co-host of Well-Fed Women. She has an amazing blog and she's always doing incredible recipes. So definitely check her stuff out. Her Instagram is and Kettlebells. And actually, I think their book, Coconuts and Kettlebells, has a lot of recipes. So that might be something to to check out as well. But she has two kids who are adorable, but she's always talking about, you know, cooking as a busy mom for kids. So I think probably finding, <laughs> to answer this question, probably finding somebody a resource that is somebody who talks about this regularly and then, you know, following their stuff. Okay. Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. Eileen's AMA
2: question is: favorite brand of berberine and when to take it? And what are your thoughts on the use of the diabetic drug, semiglutide or azempic for weight loss? Okay, I'm
0: really excited about both of these questions. Berberine, <laughs> this might go without saying, but I did recently release my own berberine, which I'm thrilled about. I'll put a link in the show notes we did an entire deep dive episode into it with Scott Emmons. So if you listen to episode 296 of this podcast, that's a deep, deep dive into berberine. So basically long story short, berberine is a natural plant alkaloid that has been shown to have profound benefits on blood sugar regulation. So in studies, it actually can rival the effects of metformin which is the go-to pharmaceutical drug for blood sugar control so it's been shown to to do that without potential side effects that might come with pharmaceuticals especially if you're wearing a cgm that we're big fans of it's nice that you can see how it might affect your blood sugar levels and it, it does that by a lot of different mechanisms so it can actually inhibit the absorption of glucose in the gut so that's you know Direct action, and then beyond that, this is actually going to tie into my answer about the semiglutide. It stops gluconeogenesis, so the production of new sugar in the liver. Because a lot of people think that you know resting high blood sugar levels and the issues from that are from the food that we just ate, which that probably is the initial cause for a lot of people for blood sugar, you know, for high blood sugar levels and pre diabetes and diabetes. But in the moment, high resting blood sugar levels are pretty much coming from your liver, especially like high fasting glucose levels. So it actually stops that in the liver. So it can have a, a profound effect there. It can modulate the gut microbiome beneficially. So preferentially increase, quote, good bacteria. And I use quote because are there really good and bad bacteria? really hard to make that case, actually. But it can increase bacteria that can have a good effect like short-chain fatty acid production and metabolic health and discourage, quote, bad bacteria that can have a negative effect. One of my favorite benefits, it's been shown to stimulate both AMPK and autophagy, which are two things we talk about on this show a lot. AMPK, not quite as much, but autophagy all the time. So autophagy is a cellular cleanup process where the body actually goes down and breaks down problematic proteins in your body and recycles them. And it's kind of like a cleanse on the cellular level. So fasting is a great way to stimulate autophagy. So it's exercise, but berberine has been shown to stimulate it as well. And then that AMPK pathway, that is also a pathway that's often activated by fasting as well as it's activated by any cellular stress. So dieting, exercise, fasting, and it's connected to a lot of longevity benefits. So berberine can activate that as well. And so for the question about what is the best berberine, I wanted to formulate the best berberine on the market. That's why it took so, so long for us to actually make my berberine because we kept checking different sources and nothing was testing for the purity and potency that we wanted. So we finally found a source and we made it without Problematic fillers, and it's just absolutely incredible. It comes in a glass bottle, tested multiple times for purity and potency, and all the things. I'm taking it every day. So, yes, you can get it at AvalonX.us. Coupon code MelanieAvalon will get you 10% off. That is berberine. Cynthia, have you ever taken berberine?
2: I have. This is where bioindividuality certainly prevails. I've taken berberine as an antimicrobial, it is quite potent. It's one of the the few things I'm very sensitive to berberine. So for as many people as it, it's very helpful. I think there are those of us that just we have to take things a little more cautiously. And this is where I will I, I actually cycle my patients on and off of berberine. So you know they'll stay on for a, a period of time, and then we'll cycle them off and try some other things to help with insulin sensitivity. I think it's very bio individual, but I do I do think there's a lot of compelling research and good information it's as efficacious as glucophage or metformin which is an oral diabetes medication and certainly with the rampant metabolic ill health here in the United States and most westernized countries it's definitely something that you know people can utilize as needed or certainly take daily if you tolerate it
0: i'm glad you drew attention to that some people do cycle on and off some people do long term but i definitely think it's really important to find what works for you and ideally work with a practitioner if possible. To answer a question about when to take it, conventionally, people usually take it before meals. I actually take it when I wake up, so in the morning for the fasted state, and that's what I like. So it's something that you can experiment with and, and play around. And you'll probably, again, having a CGM is really nice because then you can actually see how it's affecting your responses to meals and things like that. We love NutriSense. So if you go to NutriSense.io slash podcast. Use the coupon code podcasts. You can get a discount on Nutrisense CGMs. Okay. I'm super excited about her second question. She says, what are your thoughts on the use of the diabetic drug semiglutide OZEMPIC for weight loss? Do you have thoughts on this one, Cynthia?
2: I do. I'm actually going to be bringing on an expert. You know, Dr. Gabrielle Line and I are, are very good friends, and we're trying to align our calendars because she uses it quite a bit in her practice. I have limited, limited prescribing and limited experience with it beyond, you know, peers, many of whom are, they love Ozempic. They've got patients that are having incredible results from it. I think it's always with a bit of caution. And interestingly enough, there was a whole conversation on Twitter about <laughs> about semiglutide, probably about two weeks ago. So I'm going to include the journal article that was submitted with it because it was very interesting. I read it with great interest. It's a little sciencey, but there's a nice a nice kind of abstract at the very top. The two big things that I always think are important to counsel patients about number one side effects, and they can be quite significant. So if you're someone that is prone to nausea, That can be a dose-related issue. So for some people, you really have to go low and slow with the dosing mechanisms. And this is something that's injected subcutaneously. So you're keeping it stored in the refrigerator. You're drawing up a little bit at a time, injecting it into your abdomen, depending on the directions that you're getting from your healthcare practitioner. And some people have a little bit of nausea. Some people have no nausea. Some people have a lot of nausea described to me as this is what it felt like I was when I was pregnant. that's pretty significant. The other you know major side effect that people patients are reporting is constipation. So it's designed to slow gut motility, right so that you feel satiated and full. And one of the side effects is you don't get hungry because your gut motility is kind of slowed down and for a lot of people that's what mitigates the weight loss, but they also get terribly constipated and and that for me, for a lot of women, they've had to really balance how much do they want to be taking this drug? How badly do they want to lose weight? And, and for a lot of people, they're they're focused on the weight loss and b- changes in body composition. I always focus more on metabolic health. Like If you're insulin resistant, if you've got weight to lose, actually, I'm preparing a presentation right now talking about insulin-sensitive obese people. It's not everyone who is obese or overweight is insulin resistant, but in the context of this question... I think it's really interesting and the the paper that I'm looking at is called GLP-1, which is the type of drug signaling and regulation of adipocytes. So those are fat cells differentiation and lipogenesis. And I'm kind of scanning through, I've read the whole thing already, but some of the concerns that have been expressed by some of the scientists is, you know, the, the potentiality for you know, this rebound. So when you stop taking the drug, you're going to get a rebound because all of a sudden you you're now hungry in many ways, probably appropriately. So, and then there was some concern about the differentiation in adipose tissue. And so taken together in this study, we demonstrated that glp one, which is the type of drug that it is, can directly promote pre adipocyte differentiation via a different mechanism. And so a lot of the scientists on Twitter were expressing concern, saying, you know we don't think this is this is like magic in a bottle. So I, I think what I'm saying is, I'm not an expert. I think anytime we have drugs that come to market that are designed to fuel rapid weight loss, and I think about Fenfen, I'm old enough to have lived through that where people were given fentramine and a drug that ended up causing some heart damage. And that's not what I'm suggesting is happening here. I'm just saying we don't know. This is actually done in a mouse model as well as in vitro. For me, I think it's always, approach things cautiously, make sure you fully understand, you get fully informed consent, you understand the practitioner you're working with. This is not something you go to like some clinic. Like You do actually want to have an established relationship with someone and just make sure you're both going through the side effects, the pros and cons, and make sure it's something you feel comfortable with. Do you have any thoughts, Melanie?
0: Yeah. So, what was it saying about the preadipocytes?
2: It says the GLP can directly promote pre preadipocyte differentiation via a GLP one receptor dependent mechanism. So I will include this in the show notes, and it's actually really interesting. It's very sciencey. It's not a it's a cellular physiology and biochemistry paper, but it's one that was getting passed around between the clinicians, and it's one I actually hung on to when I knew that we might potentially talk about this at some point.
0: I'd like to read it. Like, what is that saying? I mean pre adipocyte differentiation? How so? Like what, how is it differentiating them? Do you know?
2: I think there, the concern is that it, we don't fully understand. I'm actually just sending it to you right now. We don't fully understand yet what the long-term effects are going to be. And that's actually, there's some mTOR dysregulation that goes on. I mean, there, there's a lot of discussion that's going on that it's not, it, it's not as benign and that doesn't, that's not a bad thing. I think when, when people are questioning, A a drug that's being utilized and and people are very interested in it, that's not a bad thing because I think, like most things, we have to continue doing research to determine what are the long-term effects. Obviously, if we're looking at individuals who are not metabolically healthy, losing weight is going to be beneficial, right? Like, ultimately losing weight. But is it something that they're going to be able to sustain after they stop the drug? Because the drug, from what I understand, is not designed to be taken forever, it's supposed to be something that facilitates weight loss. And the way that it's working, the mechanism in the small intestine is it's making people feel full. It's making people feel so full they're not eating. So this wouldn't be a drug I would be like super excited to introduce to someone who's already fasting. Like it would actually, unless there's someone that's struggling to kind of moderate their food consumption. But again working with someone that's well-versed and I will be having, if not Gabrielle, it's going to be another expert. I'm going to have them on in March so that we can talk about it. Cause I'm getting so many questions and I'm like, I don't, I don't work with this drug. I just work with people who are already on it. And then having conversations with their own healthcare practitioners to help them moderate their side effects that they're experiencing. Cause nausea and constipation, most of us don't like.
0: Hi friends. We are so honored to be sponsored in part today by NutriSense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, AKA CGMs all the time on this show. And in particular, we love NutriSense. And here is why NutriSense not only provides a 24/7 moving picture of your glucose values. They also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this, you have a meal and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, Hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a Nutrisense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes NutriSense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you, friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com IF podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's NutriSense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. Nutrisense.com slash IFpodcast. And I am just so grateful to Nutrisense for helping support today's show. I'm really fascinated by this drug. I've been hearing a lot about it. And um, so what's interesting is it was originally approved to treat diabetes It only recently got approved for weight loss. So now it's approved for weight loss if you have a BMI over 30 or if you have a BMI over 27 and then you have one related health condition. That's what it's actually approved for. So there was a really interesting review that came out in May 2022 called Semiglutide for the Treatment of Overweight and Obesity, a review. Shocker. And so that actually reviewed, they did a lot of trials called the STEP trials. So they did eight of them. And so this was thousands of participants and they looked at semiglutide in multiple different situations, you know, people with diabetes. And each trial was different things. So they would compare it like with behavioral modifications. They, one of the trials, they actually compared it with an intense dietary restriction. One of the trials looked at the Asian population. Overall, the findings were pretty impressive. So a once-weekly subcutaneous semaglutide injection of 2.4 milligrams was consistently associated with mean weight losses of 14.9 to 17.4 participants without diabetes, and they also saw improvements in cardiometabolic risk factors, physical function, and quality of life and they say that it has a you know a relative you know low risk safety profile which again Cynthia was talking about you know we don't know the long term effects of this which is very true and definitely something to keep in mind the side effects do tend to be nausea interestingly originally they were saying nausea and diarrhea but i've heard constipation a lot i remember when i first heard about it it was actually Peter Tia talking about it on his podcast and he was talking about the constipation. And I was like, nope, I'm, I can never take that. But to go back to the actual mechanism of action though, and this, when I was talking about the berberine, I said that something was going to relate. So there's three main things going on with why they think this is working. So it actually increases insulin production, which that, you know, originally it was, or and still is used for people with diabetes and pre-diabetes. And so increasing insulin can reduce blood sugar levels. And I people are probably listening and being like, wait, I thought what we're trying to do all the time is decrease insulin production. So the second part of this is that it actually decreases glucagon. That's why it's actually a potent, long-acting glucagon-like peptide, GLP1 analog. So it actually, because of how it interacts with the receptors, actually stops the body's production of glucagon. And so what glucagon does is actually encourages the release of sugar glucose, essentially, from the liver. So a lot of people with insulin resistance and issues with managing their blood sugar levels... And this goes back to what I was also saying earlier about how people often think that, you know, we're trying to fight the food we just ate, but really the thing that insulin is having to fight 24-7 is sugar being released from the liver. Like, think about it. A lot of people often will have glucagon going on, which it should be when glucagon's on and insulin is like it should be kind of like a seesaw. But a lot of people can have them both going on at the same time. And so people are having high blood sugar levels and the liver's releasing blood sugar. And then the pancreas is having to continually release insulin to combat that. I found a fascinating study. Granted, this is a rodent trial and it's from quite a while ago, but it was looking at rodents that they literally like obliterated their pancreas. Like they weren't able to produce insulin. This was fascinating. When they turned off glucagon, the rodents completely normalized their blood sugar issues. So they weren't producing insulin, but because they weren't producing glucagon, their body was able to tolerate meals and blood sugar and sugar because the theory in that paper is that insulin, what it's really combating is our endogenous glucose release. Which would be spurred by glucagon, so it's getting a little wordy, I realize, but the point is, semiglutide increases insulin while reducing glucagon, so now insulin can actually help usher, you know, blood sugar adequately into cells because it's not having to fight that blood sugar release from the liver because of the glucagon inhibition, and then it also does delay gastric emptying, like Cynthia was saying, so. It can just affect appetite on top of that. The studies on it are really, really... I mean, they're pretty impressive. Those stats that I gave about the weight loss, that was compared to placebo. And the placebo arms were always very minimal weight loss. So I do think it's effective. I do have a lot of concerns, like Cynthia was discussing, about the long-term effects. And like she mentioned as well, when people go off of it, they might rebound. So... I don't know. Like, I think it's really powerful and I think it has a place, but I think it would need to be used very consciously and used as a tool to help get your body into a more healthy metabolic state. So then you can, you know, continue that on your own. But I think what is really powerful is you can always at any time choose to make healthier choices, you know, choose to do fasting, choose to change your dietary choices. So, say that you use semi as like something to help you to, you know, become more metabolically healthy while you're on it and lose the weight. And then if you go off of it, who's stopping you from doing healthy food choices then and doing fasting then? So I think, you know, a lot of people who are rebounding are people that aren't changing their diet, aren't, you know, making other changes and then they're going on this and they're going off and then they're just going back to the way they are. And, you know, of course that's gonna, you're going to have a rebound effect. So I just like giving people agency surrounding that. And then one last thing I'll point out is the arm that looked at people doing semaglutide also with a restricted calorie diet type situation, they didn't see that much of a difference compared to not doing that restrictive diet, so that was that was pretty interesting.
2: I think there's there's a lot to unpack. There's also shortages that are ongoing and and just like as a clinician morally and ethically there are people taking it who are already thin and just want to be thinner. That's very different than a diabetic or someone who is not very metabolically healthy taking the drug. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I, I just got an advertisement in my email, I think, yesterday talking about how this one pharmacy now has semiglutide and you get two for one. And and who knows? But I, I think that much like anything, there's no panacea that's going to fix metabolic disease. And so this is just one of many tools that are available. I have several friends who are endocrinologists and they were saying the frustration of not being able to get the drug for patients who actually, who are diabetics, who actually legitimately need it and need to lose weight. So there, there's a lot to unpack here. But I, I think the, the big thing is if you choose to use it, you know, make sure you're working with someone that's knowledgeable and that you're, you know, cautious and and make sure you've got, you know, fully informed consent. I think that's certainly very important.
0: I'm so glad that you drew attention to that and it really helped because that I think that's what I was trying to articulate when I was talking about using it as a tool if you're at a state of, you know, obesity and you know, severe metabolic syndrome. Like that's when I think it would be very helpful, especially if people, you know, cuz sometimes you just need to get that momentum going and so if that's something that can help spur people to get momentum going, I think it can be a really nice tool. 100%. I think there's a major issue. People who are already thin, already metabolically healthy, like I would not want to use it. And even when I made the comment about when <laughs> I heard about the constipation and then I said no, I wasn't thinking to clarify, I was not thinking of taking it. It's just whenever I hear any. When I hear discussions of any pharmaceutical and they say constipation is a side effect, I'm just like, I would never, <laughs> you could not pay me. So I'm really, really glad that you drew attention to that. Yeah, I can see how that would be a major issue. It'll be really interesting to see how it goes, like, you know, how this will continue to manifest.
2: Well, it was interesting while we were talking, just for fun, I, you know, went into Twitter and looked at what was trending. And now there are celebrities outing one another over the use of Semaglutide, And I was like, okay, that's, that's not story worthy, but... There's definitely, you know, a little bit of a backslash that's going along. And and to me, there's no shame if you choose to use it and you and your healthcare practitioner are going to monitor you closely. And maybe that's going to allow you to get to a point where you're able to lose some stubborn weight and then you can work towards ensuring you're making good choices when you come off the drug. But the other side of that coin is, you know, there are biohackers out there that use semiglutide as, as like, they use what I would refer to affectionately as really small doses. So they're microdosing semiglutide. And these are people that are healthy weights. And that's a whole other phenomenon that we could leave for another podcast. But there's a lot about semiglutide that is fascinating slash disturbing.
0: What is the intention with the microdosing?
2: I think it helps curb appetite. That's what they've told me. I won't out the people have <laughs> mentioned to me. They're using it because it's not my business, right? It's that's that's not what this platform is for. But I I am starting to see people that are microdosing it, so they're using like a, a very therapeutic, a very tiny therapeutic dose in the hopes that it'll help curb appetite.
0: Gotcha. Well, very interesting discussion. I'll be really interested if you and Gabrielle do something on it. That would be really nice.
2: We're trying to coordinate our calendars. It's hard. She's been doing some traveling, but we will make it happen.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 306. The show notes will have a full transcript. So definitely check that out. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are IFpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go?
2: No, I I love the AMA format. I think we've had a lot of fun with it. So just know that we'll continue to kind of weave these questions into our, our format. It's definitely been a lot of fun.
0: I agree. Awesome, awesome. Well... Have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice, and no patient doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team administration by Sharon Merriman, editing by podcast doctors, show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner, transcripts by Speech Docs, and original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.